You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. Tannehill steps and fires, and it's intercepted. It's Marcus Peters who makes the play for the Ravens. Whew. Just another week in Baltimore Ravens football. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Like a Raven. No excited intro, because I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by this team. There's jokes about the Saints, or excuse me, the Seahawks never having a regular game. The Ravens this season certainly are not having regular games, but they are pulling out wins. And we're going to talk about it this week. I'm joined by my co-host. First, on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim Alive, uh, on life support, uh, how are you feeling over there? Um, heavy, one. Uh, I stress ate my weight in buffalo chicken dip yesterday watching the game and continued to eat leftover buffalo chicken dip today as sort of a coping mechanism. Um, so I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm, I, I felt that exhale that you started this episode with in my chest. Like I, I felt that because it's exactly how I feel watching every single Ravens game this year. Um, but you know what? The Ravens are two and one. They are not two and one the way we thought they'd be two and one a couple about a month ago. But that's a winning record, and I, I'm fine with it. So I'm doing good. And on the West Coast, Jace Evans, Jace, I ask you the same question: how you, how you feeling after uh, yet another uh, just gut wrenching game? It ain't always pretty, Antonio. It ain't always easy, but it's us. And uh, John Harbaugh obviously famously said that last week after the Chiefs game. And, uh, yes, this was another very 2021, uh, Ravens football game. Um, the three wildest games I can remember them ever starting a season. I certainly can't remember like three crazier games to start a Ravens season than these three back to back to back. Um, a lot of good, 
Uh, Justin Tucker, the greatest of all time. We'll get into him. Uh, a lot of bad. Uh, they should have probably lost to the Detroit Lions if it weren't for the greatest kicker of all time. Um, and yeah, I think this whole season, I hope you've eaten your Cheerios. You're you're happy and heart healthy because this is uh, going to be just a roller coaster season. It's not going to be, you know, Tim mentioned the dip, but it's putting stress on all of us. Uh, it's it's just gonna it's gonna be. I think this is what this Ravens team's gonna be this season. It's gonna be a roller coaster. It's gonna be a wild ride. I hope it gets a little less crazy, honestly. But um, I think just given the circumstances, like it was, they pulled it out, and that's as Tim said, the two and one. And at the end of the day, that's all you could really ask for. But whew, it was it was tough. <laughs> this was a game that we had circled as what was supposed to be the less stressful game, the back to just regular one o'clock, beat the bad teams, nine point favorites going in. And at the beginning of this game, it certainly looked like it was going to be a, a relaxing game. And then, boy, some missed opportunities. So we're going to talk about the first half of this game first, and then the second half, because that's kind of how, boy, this game was divided very neatly between those two sections. So starting with the first half, I, I honestly, the score was 10 nothing at the end of halftime, uh, and I thought the Ravens legitimately should have had 31 points in this game. Um, we have the defense, first of all, playing down several starters because of Jalen Ferguson uh, testing positive for COVID-19 and then having a couple of close contacts. But right early in the game, Tyus Bowser drops a disastrous Lions trick play. Uh, I, I guess it's a flea flicker. It's not exactly a flea flicker, but kind of. And Bowser's right there where if he just catches it, hits both hands, probably a pick six. Justin Tucker misses a field goal in the first half. <sighs> Marquise Hollywood-Brown drops several very catchable passes that would have led to points. Uh, he drops one deep throw that turns a touchdown into a field goal. He has two other uh, drops on one drive that leads to a punt. You add up all these drop points. I have a total of 21 points missed. Uh, and, and not because they had penalties or uh, miscommunications or mistakes, just basic, basic fundamental plays that were not made by a couple of different players on this team. And so it's 10 nothing at halftime. And there's no way this can come back to bite them, guys. But your, your thoughts on... Uh, on the first half offensively. Yeah, I mean, your ending point there is is the main point, I think, of you're sitting there watching it, and, you know, we sat on this podcast last week going, oh, the Ravens don't get trapped anymore with Lamar Jackson. There's no trap games around here anymore. I know they just came off an emotional win, and then all of a sudden it's these little ticky-tack mistakes all over the place, and you're watching a game where your team is relatively dominant, relatively but I've watched this Detroit Lions team this year, and Motor City Dan Campbell has these boys rolling, these boys fighting, these boys biting kneecaps, the whole thing. Like, you can joke about it, but this team plays hard. And I remember sitting there thinking the entire time, and, you know, maybe I credit most of it to just me being a completely complete pessimist when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens, but I'm like, they're going to blow this. They are going to blow this because they are leaving Way too many points on the table, and it's just thank God the Lions are the Lions. You know, it, it's I was listening to the the Pat McAfee show today, and they referenced the curse of Calvin Johnson, 
where Calvin Johnson, who they still owe like $1.2 million and refuse to pay him, gets celebrated at halftime for uh, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. And the whole ceremony is just the entire Lions fan base booing the owner, like (laughs) vehemently booing the owner. And the only reason that the Ravens squeaked this one out for me, and we'll get to the second half and the issues and the problems and stuff. I think it's they were playing the Lions. They play any other team in this league not named the Jets or Jaguars. I think they lose this football game because there were too many mistakes. It was too sloppy. I know we're just doing the first half now, so we'll get into the missed tackles and um, Patrick Queen, which I have lots of thoughts on. And the warning signs were there, and then the floodgate of despair and worry and all those things, all those fun words really opened up in the second half. The the biggest concern from that first half for me was the Hollywood drops. Oh you know, we God. talked Jesus we talked about Christ. this guy last week. We praised him on the show. Uh, you know, he, he seemed to have been turning a corner. He seemed to be, you know, taking that next step. Um, and his, you know, we had the stat over 80 yards or, uh, a touchdown in 10 straight games. And, you know, the first drop, if you want to call it that, the end zone did, did at least look like to me, maybe a Lions defender got a hand on it, but Hollywood did too. But the other two completely inexcusable. And like you said, Antonio directly, like the, 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 the real bad one was the second, well, they were both terrible, but the, the one where there was just no one around him by five yards and he just, you know, I guess he turns and tries to run into the end zone before he catches the ball. I don't know what he did, but like you said, that went from, at least you're getting a field goal on that drive. Probably should have had a touchdown on that play. And instead they punt the ball. Um, it was just really bad and we could maybe go into this more in the, the second half uh, stuff, but the drops like really led to some big time struggles on third down in this game. Uh, the the Ravens go one for 10 on third down. And like you said, it was kind of, kind of started in the first half. They, they struggled. They couldn't put the lions away. Uh, like Tim said, they play hard to their credit. I think the lions are a bad team, but they do seem to play hard. Uh, and when they had a chance to really put the distance between them in the first half, they didn't. And, you know, a 10-0 lead still should, you know, still in decent shape at half, but you want to just enter up so much more if you're playing that, like, dominating the game in all facets. The Lions' passing game was doing nothing to that point, and they just left the door open a bit, and this is the NFL. Teams are still good enough to come back from 10-point deficits no matter how bad the team is. So I I would say that was the disappointing thing, was not hitting on those big plays um, and, you know, coming through on... What I thought were some great throws by Lamar. I know Antonio, you have some thoughts on him, but yeah, he he was he he put the ball where they needed to be, and the the receivers just didn't make the plays. Specifically, Hollywood, especially too when you talk about the offense. And you mentioned we're missing Justin Matabuke, who has been a starter for this defensive line. Brandon Williams, obvious starter. Justin Houston, who has played a lot, and uh, and then Jalen Ferguson, who the guy who actually gets COVID is the guy who doesn't play, which is just. So Ravens in 2021, thank the Lord. The The offense did not have a running game this entire game. The Baltimore Ravens ran for 116 yards, which I know it's triple digits. That is way too low for the Baltimore Ravens. And with that, I think Greg Roman, to his credit, said, hey, we're going to open up the playbook. We're going to run more passing plays. They're stacking eight, nine guys. We can't keep running the ball like this. We'll do it a little bit to keep them honest. But we have to throw the ball, and, and Antonio, I know you have thoughts on it, so I want to get to you here, but I thought Lamar played 
brilliantly. I thought Lamar had a great football game. I really do. I can see I'm about to get a little pushback here, but I, I thought I thought he was great. I thought the throws were incredibly accurate. Um, and I would like to personally uh, take a little bit of the blame for Hollywood Brown because I remember I had a couple <laughs> friends over. I was sitting here. He made a nice catch, um, and I think it was like a curl route. He ended up getting around the guy and didn't go out of bounds, like ran an extra 10, 7 to 10 yards. And I went, and I announced it to the people here. Guys, and I knocked. I did knock. Maybe I just didn't knock enough on the wood. <laughs> that Hollywood Brown is turning into a real threat and is going to be a weapon. And then he pooped down his leg for the rest of the game. And so I would just hand up. I would like to take a little bit of blame for what happened. But, but overall, Antonio, I thought Lamar was, was brilliant. We have, uh, we've used this expression several times on air, uh, via text, dare I say in person even, when we used to be able to hang out in, in big groups, that the Ravens never have everything working at the same time. Uh, and boy, was this a version of that. Your defense is pitching a shutout. Uh, in you know trying circumstances with players out, your quarterback looks fantastic, and so of course you need to have glaring, devastating drops that are taking points off the field, and your kicker who never misses has to is is missing you know missing a field goal in the first half of this game. I don't. I mean it's hyperbole, but Lamar. I think this is the best I've seen him throw. That first half was the best I have seen him throw in his entire career. And you're absolutely right, Tim, that this was a situation where the Lions, the game plan was, we're going to be mean up front, we're not going to let them get five, six, seven yards of carry, we're going to force them to become a passing team, which they don't want to do, and Lamar responded. He was slinging it in that first half. They show the, uh, like the fantasy stat uh, ticker on the bottom of the screen, and Lamar Jackson was leading the NFL in passing yards for much of the day. And they kept showing his name first with passing yards, which was something which was insane to, to look at. And it was because he was slinging it all over the field. Deep crosses, all kind of all kind of routes and completions. And they just couldn't finish drives with these horrendous drops. He threw, I mean, it's like the Russell, I feel like Russell Wilson has a trademark on this play, but he threw the Russell Wilson, like, moon ball down the sidelines to Sammy Watkins. It was like 50 yards downfield, right down the right sideline. It got a little bit of a deflection, which then I understand makes it impossible for, for Sammy Watkins to catch it when it's deflected, you know, inches from his hands. But he dropped it in a bucket. <laughs> he could not have put it in any better place than he did. Uh, and it's an incompletion. You might love your wide receiver to maybe go up and, and, and meet the ball at its at its highest point. But but I digress. Uh, I thought he was really, really good. It was a shame to see, of course, some factor of, of the Ravens' game plan had to be lagging while so many other things were going right. Um, and then we got to give credit defensively, guys. Zero points in the first half of this game. Uh, what did you think of, of the output? I was a little scared when this game started. I think I texted uh, Tim a little concerned, you know, how, how afraid of this Lions offense do we need to be based on starters out? And then Jared Goff's first drop back without pressure, and he threw an out route to a very open receiver and missed him by legitimate seven yards. And so I relaxed a little bit. But at least in the first half, guys, what did you, uh, what did you like defensively? Uh, 
Jace, I'm going to let you go because all of my positivity for the first half was completely wiped out by that shambolic, <laughs> embarrassing Pop Warner performance of the second half. So take it away. Well, I'll go, I'll go a little positive. I'll say Chuck Clark. I thought Chuck had a great first half. He was all over the place. Um, and a guy who, you know, we've kind of talked about kind of I, – I, been a little quiet, I think, frankly, to this point in the season. He hadn't stood out a bunch, but, you know, he was the leading tackler on this day, which can always be, as Tim kind of alluded to, good or bad uh, when your defensive backs are leading the team in tackles. Um, not always something you want, but... Um, well, it helps when he know. actually tackles, you know, like, you know, <laughs> yes. uses his arms and things. Well, that's what I was going to say. He had a great, like, some great tackles on third down to stop uh, guys short for the Lions. He, he has a sack on Jared Goff in the first half. I thought Chuck was all over the place. And to your point, Antonio, I did think the defensive line, for as shorthanded as they were, they did good stuff in the early going of the game, but... Um, yeah, I think they kind of wore down a little bit, perhaps, as the game went on. Uh, certainly, the Lions figured some stuff out, and when you have no one to rotate in on defensive line, I think it kind of uh, showed a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I thought Chuck was really impressive, and I, I was glad to see that, because I thought he's been quiet, and, you know, he's the green dot guy, he's the leader of the defense uh, from positioning and stuff, so... Yeah, uh, that that was one thing I, I did enjoy from that first half. And, well, like you said, too, I mean, 10 nothing. They they pitch a shutout in the first half. And at that point, I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> this is going to be a nice, easy day. Didn't Maybe didn't score like we wanted, but we'll get out of... Get out of Detroit with maybe a 24-10, uh, <laughs> 24-7 victory, perhaps. But, alas. <laughs> Clayus Campbell, I thought, did some nice things defensively, but... Yeah, I want to just pivot this to to give Tim uh, a little bit of space here for airing of the grievances because then in the second half, defensively, the Ravens literally did the opposite of the first half. They gave up points on all three possessions. They went touchdown, touchdown, field goal, and could not get stops, could not make plays, could not tackle Tim. Uh, I'm gonna clear uh, sort of clear some space here. I'm gonna mute the mic. What? Uh, what do, you have, what do you have to say about the defensive performance in the second half of this game? I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to hear the argument for the defensive line. Absolutely understand that. Two guys, like Derek Wolf hasn't played yet this season. I thought Calais Campbell stepped up in a massive way throughout the game, uh, being basically the only starter left on that line. Even Matabuke wasn't there, as we mentioned, in the rotation, you know. Let, let's let's call a spade a spade. Jelly Ellis out, ain't out there playing seventy five percent of the plays. Like that's just it's that's gonna be a problem. I cannot say the same for a first round draft pick out of LSU who on this podcast last week I put in purgatory. He is no longer in purgatory. I am out officially out on Patrick Queen until the man can actually use his speed and his talent. And his athletic ability to, one, recognize plays. Don't be a step slow when you're one of the fastest guys on the field, Pat. And two, learn to effing tackle. Use your arms. Don't, you're too small. Jace talked about it all last week. You are too small to try and go and make these hit stick hits. There's one guy that did that, and his name is Ray Lewis. And you, sir, are nowhere close to that. It was embarrassing. It was shambolic. DeAndre Swift was running him ragged in the entire second half. It was embarrassing. And and look, 
I'm picking on Patty Queen. He ain't the only one. The The entire Ravens defense in that second half was just missing tackles left and right. But some of the effort on things, too, is what pisses me off. You see, like, I, I can't remember if it was a screen pass or there, there was a swing out to the to the right. And Queen, it's DeAndre Swift, and Queen goes in there and, like, taps him like it's effing flag football. He just, like, gives him a little shoulder touch. Like, hey, buddy, what's up? What are you doing? It was like third down. The guy, DeAndre Swift gains an extra like 12 yards and they move down the field. You have these drives, 17 points on drives of 11 plays, 12 plays, and 9 plays. And we're talking about Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. As Antonio said, he's not a good quarterback. A lot of these weren't great plays. It was Khalif Raymond or DeAndre Swift. And if they weren't open, throw it to him anyway, and they're going to break some tackles and get the first down. It was a joke. And Patrick Queen is at, the, is at the head of it. He is at the start of it. That is your middle linebacker. That is the man who's supposed to be commanding this defense. That is the man who is supposed to be your green dot guy, Jace. And the fact that he isn't tells you a lot for a second-year guy. A guy that in preseason was stepped up and was great. And he, you know, doing all the, the tweets about oh, my game is really stepping up. Retweeting everybody. Reposting on Instagram. Everybody who gave him one little shred of a compliment because of his play in the preseason. And he has came out in this regular season where it actually matters, Pat, and been an embarrassment to the Baltimore Ravens and the history with defense and tackling. Tackling! Like, it's the most normal... It's the first thing you do in football, right? I played rugby in high school. You know the one of the best things about that sport compared to football, in my opinion, and I, I love America's game. Don't get me wrong. The one thing that I love about that sport more than football is that you have to wrap up it is literally illegal to not wrap up in rugby they call you back for that you have to use your arms and a lot of the times it's a good strategy to kind of get trucked over and grab the guy by his legs and wrap him up so he doesn't go anywhere i'm tired of the the shoulder s i'm tired of it it just doesn't work especially when you basically look like a free safety out there compared to some of the other linebackers in the nfl it's embarrassing and as of this moment right now, that kid, and I don't know who else they would have picked. I'd have to go back and look. I'm too angry to do it right now. He's a bust, and there's plenty of time left, but he is a flat-out bust as a first-round pick for this team. And that sucks to say because, like, LSU also, for a school that I didn't go to, probably my favorite college football team. I was steamed up that they drafted a, finally drafted an LSU guy, this quick linebacker who's instinctive and yada, yada, yada. But... It, it just it was embarrassing, and it made my blood boil over and over, and it kept happening. This is not one moment. This is not two moments. It is not three moments. It is over and over and over again. It was it was just it's the epitome. And Antonio, you said it. It's the epitome of the Ravens not losing to the Lions, losing to themselves. And you know, thank God for the greatest kicker of all time because I'm here being this angry about this. Imagine what if it would be like if he didn't make that kick, and we're talking about losing to Dan Campbell. Yeah, it was, I mean, the first half Detroit tried to throw the ball to wide receivers and tight ends, and they had zero points because the Ravens would blitz a little bit, get a little bit of pressure, and Jared Goff would fold like a lawn chair. So I give Dan Campbell credit, the offensive coordinator for the Lions credit. They changed the second half philosophy was, let's just get it out of Goff's hands, get it to our talent, which are the running backs, and let them do what they do. But it became obvious. It became 
every throw was within five yards of the line of scrimmage. So that's when your tacklers need to show up. Adam Archuleta, ex-NFL player, was doing the color for this game, and he, I think the one thing he spoke about Patrick Queen was complimentary, and I, I don't know what he was looking at during that game. He was talking <laughs> praise about his speed and you know, how quickly he is able to make plays, but he gets there and then is not able to actually make the play. And it was tough. It was tough to watch. And it took a game uh, that was 10 nothing, and then 13 nothing, with the Ravens scoring in their first possession of the second half into 13-7, to 16-14, 17-16, and they just could not get off the field. And I think if that game went another 20 minutes, the Lions would have continued to score on every possession. They only scored a field goal in their last possession because they essentially played for it by just trying to run out the clock. Otherwise, it would have probably been a touchdown had they really tried. Oh, boy. Jace, uh, anything else defensively uh, in the second yeah. half? What, what are you uh, – it's your turn to gripe here. Well, just kind of bouncing off Tim's point, I think the problem with Patrick Queen is, you know, you, when like Tim said it very well, though. Like, when you take a guy in the first round, you expect him – to be this playmaker and he's just not. And I think we've, we've talked about this probably every week on the show. We certainly talked about it last week uh, against the chiefs. The difference was uh, your first round pick Adafa Owe stepped up and made plays in the fourth quarter and the late in the third quarter when the Ravens absolutely needed them against the chiefs and that helped them win. But then in this game, no one makes a play on defense at all in this entire second half. And you know, we've talked about the, the absence of Marcus Peters. That's a big problem in the back end in terms of, um, this is probably just frankly going to be a low interception unit this year. We, uh, As much as we all love Marlon Humphrey, he's never, I, I don't think he's ever cleared three interceptions in a year. He's not a high pick guy because usually people just don't throw to him because there's no reason to. But it's, <laughs> you would have loved for someone to make a play on Jared Goff, a quarterback who, who, who turns the ball over with a frequency that is matched by few other players in the NFL. And they just weren't able. And like you said, Antonio, I think if this game went on, they were, they were lucky that they had the ball last and that the lions did decide to go play for a field goal instead of go for a touchdown. Cause I think if they put the, the hammer down, maybe a little more, they probably get that TD and, and, and you know, Justin Tucker never has the chance at all to pull off those heroics. So they were definitely bailed out in the end, and it was disappointing that no one on the defense stepped up. And to, to, to just – we saw it a little bit last year against the Eagles, too. Like, that, that game that seemed won, and then no one put it away. Just with a guy like Patrick Queen not developing like we saw, the guy who should step – like, the player who should step up and make these game-defining plays that we saw for so long as Ravens fans, spoiled, admittedly, with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, just guys – who would seize the moment and make the biggest play of the game and preserve the win for their team. The Ravens just don't have a lot of those guys on this defense. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of upsetting as a guy, I think as a podcast that I can speak for all of us that loves defense. Um, yeah, they just don't have that guy uh, this year. And it's, it's, it, it showed in this game. I'm not apologizing for that though. I'm done apologizing. We've done this over and over and over again. I'm done apologizing for watching Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. I'm done apologizing for expecting great defense. Like, John Harbaugh does this too. Like, this is the standard around here. You are supposed to make plays. You are supposed to shut out bad teams. You are supposed to enforce your will. And I don't even, I don't care that Lamar Jackson is on this football team. I don't care. 
on the defensive side of the ball, you were supposed to win games to the Baltimore Ravens, and you were a first-round pick. You were a cornerstone of this team. The, the Ravens do not sign free agents. They draft, and they draft well most of the time. Those first-round picks are supposed to be the guys that end up being the cornerstones of this team. Lamar Jackson, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey. The, the list goes on and on and on. Patrick Queen, you're supposed to be part of that group. Hollywood Brown, you're supposed to be part of that group. And Queen simply is not right now. He is just a guy on a good defense. You know, go through the list, right? Fully healthy. Think about it. Fully healthy on this Ravens list. Where does Queen rank among the most important players in that defense? Top of my head, Humphrey, Calais Campbell, Marcus Peters when he's there, Brandon Williams, I would say. And I know, line bias, but I would say he is invaluable and people don't realize that, especially when... They're not going to re-sign him this offseason. That'll be fun. Chuck Clark, I think, easily more important to this defense. The green dot guy. That's five. There's 11 players on the defense, and I haven't named the middle linebacker yet. By the end of the season, we could easily be saying Adafi Owe. I think easily be saying Adafi Owe based on how he's played. And I thought he was good again. Didn't, didn't really show up in the stat sheet, but I thought he did okay on the defensive line, especially in an increased role. This is, this is the second year. They're, the rookie mistakes are gone. And look... I'm going to leave it with this. Patrick Queen, this infuriated me for a bunch of different reasons, but after the game, he tweets, simply got to play better. First of all, Queen, you don't owe us an apology. You don't owe us anything. Athletes, athletes do not have to apologize to fans on Twitter for bad games. That's, I think that's just stupid, frankly. But if you feel the need, you feel the need. Whatever. Some guy replied to it, just reading the replies here, uh, Andre Fleming. And this Andre and I, we're on the same page. I'd like to get a beer with Andre because he speaks the same language I do. Just tackle. You're at like every play. Just tackle, tackle, tackle. Thank you, uh, thank you, Andre. We got, maybe we'll try to get him, try to find him, get him on the pod for the <laughs> more words of wisdom. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Tim. Uh, the offensively, the Ravens in the second half in reviewing this game did a little better than I thought. They scored on their first two possessions, albeit field goals, uh, after some sustained drives. Uh, Lamar Jackson does have the interception in the box score, but it's a third and ten deep ball when you're not in field goal range. So it's kind of like if Aaron Rodgers had done that, there'd probably be a tweet somewhere that said, ah, the, the Aaron Rodgers punt play but it's Lamar Jackson's that so that didn't get talked about but not not the worst interception trying to make a play in that spot and the Lions end up getting it like on the 20 yard line which is where they may have ended up with a punt on fourth and 10 the defense again third possession of the second half does not show up and the Lions go down the field kick a field goal to take their first lead of the game 17-16 with all of a minute and four seconds remaining the Ravens now out of timeouts because they used two of them to get the ball back, and they used one of them when John Harbaugh had to challenge a play that very much looked like a catch all the way. But, uh, Jace, I know you have some thoughts on this quickly, but I, <laughs> I believe it was done because they had 12 men on the field, and Harbaugh uh, was sort of doing the combined, I could take a timeout here, but why don't I just use the challenge and it'll count the same just in case. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, either way, it did not end up working out for him. Uh, th- you know, this is a, a classic, when you have a coach like John Harbaugh, who's now been around for 14 seasons, which is hard to believe, uh, 
you know, we go, but we go far back with John now. And, uh, this, this, we haven't, I feel like seen this a ton lately, but he used to be fairly infamous in my book, at least for just these mind boggling challenges, not just your early... book, not just your book. <laughs> and yeah, in the early going of his tenure was just marked by challenges that made you go, what, why? And this one, especially when you, as we talked about it, the lions are just motoring down the field, like pretty unchallenged the entire second half. And like, you're immediately like, well, surely they won't need three timeouts at the end of this game for any reason. Um, it would have certainly been nice to have one, but in the end, it, it ended up not costing them, but I was not a fan of that. I thought it was, I thought it was a catch all the way. I, I never saw an angle that didn't think it was one. And I, I just, I just think on anything that's that borderline, it just, it, it isn't worth the risk as, as infuriating, I guess, as NFL replay can be and, Un- unclear how they arrive at certain conclusions. I didn't think that was worth the risk in that scenario. And speaking, I had forgotten about this, but speaking of NFL replay, they just gifted the Lions a touchdown in this game, by the way, uh, on a run where I don't know if it was Swift or their other runner on very clearly had his shin touch the ground, and then they still gave him the, the forward progress after that. Uh and they brought in, I can't remember the, uh, whoever the, the um, NFL analyst, the rules analyst is for... Gene Sterator. Was it Gene for this? Okay, so Sterator comes on and says, yeah, I'm pretty confused by this call because you <laughs> can clearly see his shin is touching the ground here as they freeze frame it where a shin is very clearly touching the ground. So yeah, great, great job well, on, on the, the Bowser play, once again. On the Bowser play too... They called it a fumble originally, and there was not nearly enough evidence to overturn Agreed. that. And the, the refs just Agreed. said F it and did it anyway. Now, look, there's no Lions fans listening to this, but we should mention this. Yeah, the Ravens probably got away with a delay of game, but then, you know what? They couldn't stop fourth and 19, so... Man, I have so many cuss words I want to say. Quit your whining, because you couldn't, you couldn't stop a fourth and 19 with Lamar Jackson, who half the world thinks can't throw the ball, and, you know, obviously they're completely insane, but... We should mention that one as well. But, yeah, the referee, I mean, and we'll talk about – I probably won't get into it too much in the NFL section here. But the standard, the standard of refereeing in this league is an absolute joke. It, it is a farce. It is ruining games. And I don't know how you make it better. I really don't. But it needs to improve, you know, as soon as possible. So the Ravens are now in a situation. Down a point. Minute four. No timeouts. I, I put in our notes I, as a joke, the drive, uh, as the as a name for this. Not that that already exists for bigger stakes, but it wasn't even the drive. It was the play. Uh, Lamar gets sacked on first down, throws an incomplete pass on second down, gets sacked on third down, and it is now fourth and 19 from the Ravens' own 16-yard line. There are 26 seconds left in the game. The offense looks disheveled. The wide receivers are doing the the thing that you hate to see in a quote-unquote two-minute drill where they're sprinting downfield on their route and then having to sprint all the way back because it's been a, a, you know, the the clock is running and then sprint down again and sprint back. And I'm saying this intentionally. They do it three times, the Ravens receivers, sprint down and sprint back. So it's fourth and 19. And what do the Lions do? But they call timeout because, of course... This is the exact situation where you want the Ravens offense to have all the time in the world to catch their breath, make subs that they want to make, dial up the perfect play, 
and not have the crowd noise be a factor as they have to make a play call. The quarterback can do it on the sidelines during the timeout as opposed to have to get the radio (laughs) call in when it's deafeningly loud inside of a dome. And that's part of a thing that we've touched on a little bit in this episode. The Lions lionsed the hell out of this game. Uh, And it was that part of it as a neutral, I assume, would have been so enjoyable. Earlier in this game, the Ravens (laughs) muffed a punt. Uh, on their own 15-yard line that the Lions recovered, only for the play to be called back off of a penalty that was wholly unrelated to the play, where a Lions gunner just ran directly out of bounds and then kept running down the sidelines out of bounds to try to get an edge, and they called that. The timeout on 4th and 19 is, is a disaster. And then, of course, allowing the 4th and 19, guys, where Lamar Jackson, who had had a fine second half, has again one of his best throws, one of his better throws on a 4th and 19, perfectly lofting the ball to Sammy Watkins, who then doesn't run out of bounds. But before we get to uh, the actual the actual play, the biggest play, I want to talk about this 4th and 19. Uh, this is a show-me play by Lamar Jackson, who does not have a ton of these late in a game where the down and distance was so uh, was so tough. I had pretty much zero faith that a first down was happening based on how the offense had looked on the first three plays. Uh, thoughts on, on Lamar in that situation, pressure on, on the road, coming up with a fourth and 19. I mean, you had nailed it, Antonio. It was a show-me play because I was right there with you. I, it's like, oh, this game is over. Sacked twice. Like, great. We're just going to flame out again. And I was preparing all of my hot and spicy takes for this episode of Pod Like a Raven coming in. but Add a little Tabasco to one of those dips that you were uh, just like right. inhaling. Oh, trust me, there was plenty of hot sauce already, but it might have needed <laughs> a little bit more. I, it, It's funny because, you know, Lamar, and apologies if you said this already, um, but Lamar and Greg Roman said that they changed the play after the timeout, and which is significant. Again, another... Terrible decision by Dan Campbell. He'll figure it out. I, th- I think he's actually going to be a good coach, to be honest, outside of all the jokes. I really do. Um, and they rush three against Lamar. They kind of sit everybody back. And, and frankly, I didn't think it was the worst decision. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. You hear people go, well, they should have rushed more at him. They were sacking him already. Well, one, you were sacking him with little pressure already. Why not just do it again and leave more guys in coverage for a fourth and 19 play and then, you know, leave guys back in case he breaks the pocket. You can go up and get him. Like, I I thought that was fine. And then Lamar pinpoint ball and lofts it right over the defensive back into Sammy Watkins hands. I thought it was another great throw. I mean, we we barely mentioned the throw throw to DuVarnay. I thought the the touchdown throw to DuVarnay was fantastic. Um, You know, I. You glo- you glanced or glossed over it a little bit, excuse me. Um, I thought the pick was horrible, uh, but you know we can agree to disagree on that one. It's I, I don't think it takes away from how it takes away a little bit, obviously, of how good he was. Um, but he was that good where even that pick I think is kind of overshadowed, and obviously it helps that they won the game clearly. But he made a number of fantastic throws in this game, and th- it, it reminds me. Because it's it's the Lions, right? And because the Tucker moment is going to supersede everything because it's the NFL record field goal and, and we're going to talk about the emotions of it and everything in just a bit here. I think any NFL fan who maybe just had this on Red Zone or had it on a second TV or a third TV if you're so lucky, 
and wasn't really paying attention to this game, doesn't see how significant this was for Lamar Jackson. I was reading a uh, takeaways thing from NFL.com, and they were like, well, this game, Lamar gets a pass. I'm like, that's not what this, no, this is not what this is about. Lamar had a good game. Like, people are going to look, oh, 16 for 31, 287, and a really bad pick. Like, oh, that's, that doesn't seem great. He only rushed for 58 yards, too, after that Chiefs game. I thought this was not as impressive as the Chiefs game, clearly, but a very good follow-up performance, and it was accentuated by that 4th and 19 play. Yeah, that that pass was uh, brilliant, obviously, on the 4th and 19, and it kind of just highlights... Uh, something very interesting that's going on with Lamar this season is like, he's been actually hitting big plays. He's currently uh, number one in the NFL in uh, yards per catch uh, on his balls at uh, 14 and a half yards per completion um, yards per completion rather. And he's averaging 70 more passing yards per game through the first three games of this year than he was last season. Um, so, you know, I think there's been some consternation, certainly on this podcast, elsewhere, about this, the, the picks. He's the three touchdowns, three interceptions. But I think he's been really good this year, and he's had to be because we've talked about, like, the line is an issue, and who knows if Ronnie Stanley will play again this year. That's kind of seems very up in the air at this point. Um, the line's been a problem. The running back situation, please never tell me running backs don't matter because they clearly matter <laughs> uh, based on some of what the Ravens have done on the ground through the first few games uh, this season. You know, watching all just these veterans try to make the best of it. I can't fault them really, but leaves a little to be desired. A lot has just been on Lamar's shoulders, and I think that's caused some of the mistakes. But I think we have seen just some of the improvement from him and the passing that we kind of all, everyone has been screaming about it, it, I think we're seeing it, right? It's evidenced in the 70 more <laughs> passing yards per game. Some of these clutch throws and big throws and throws down the field. I, I think he's been really good this year. And I just, I, I hope it continues because the Ravens will go as far as Lamar takes them this season, because it's all on him. I think as far as the offense is concerned with the, Sammy Watkins completion, which, by the way, is a 36-yard play on 4th and 19. The Ravens just, they just kick it. They just try to kick it from (laughs) the Detroit 48-yard line, which is such a bizarre thing. Tucker, I loved, Tucker ran out on 2nd and 10 when there were (laughs) 7 seconds left because he was just ready to go. Uh, And they said, no, let's try one, throw the ball directly out of bounds first, and then have you kick it. It's Detroit. It's uh, it's the the location of one of Tucker's. I guess at this point, his second most famous kick. Where we brought it up on the pod before, but it's nice to bring up. All three of us were in the same living room for when the Ravens were in Detroit last in two thousand. We're so old. <laughs> two thousand and thirteen where Justin Tucker kicked a 61-yard field goal to win the game in a very similar scoreline to this one. And we erupted, and the the point had been made in this game 800 different times about that legendary field goal. So, of course, it's his home. It's his home now. And he trots out there, takes a 66-yard field goal attempt, where the ball, after it snapped, Sam Cook is putting it down in Ravens territory <laughs> and is on... What the the Ravens forty four yard line is where the ball is kicked from. Just to give perspective to the listener of where the ball was, and it goes sixty six and one tenth yards and hits just far enough uh, along the 
crossbar to bounce up and in for a Ravens victory on television because I did not go to Detroit for this game. On television, when it bounced off the crossbar, the perspective for me looked like it was heading back onto the field of play. It went so high that I thought it was bouncing, and I was sad. And then you see that net behind just ripple just enough, and Justin Tucker now holds the record for the longest field goal ever made, and it's a game winner, fellas, to make this a 2-1 and Ravens instead of a 1-2 and Ravens. Whoever wants to go, just two minutes on Justin Tucker, go. Um, I I think I think he is undisputedly the greatest kicker of all time. I think uh, Adam Vinatieri has had more big kicks, but I think nobody has shown the talent and the consistency and the um, cajones of Justin Tucker in some of these moments, and you know. He didn't have an opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal in the Super Bowl because we were blowing the doors off of the 49ers until they turned the lights off. So I I don't want to hear that he hasn't had these situations. He made a crucial kick in that playoff run against the Denver Broncos to win that football game. So, like, let's just remember the narratives before you go spouting that stuff off. I think it is not even close, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, I, I know it's tough for kickers. Justin Tucker, if he continues this way for the next, I mean, God knows how long, because he's a kicker, he is going to be a Hall of Fame player for the Ravens. And I, it's just cool to say it, but it's a smile on my face. Um, quickly for me, Antonio, I was with you. I had a bunch of people, um, you know, a bunch of people here watching the game with us, and we all kind of had the same thought of, oh, no. Like, everybody thought he missed it. And then those back referees, like Roger, went down to him with a little intercom went make this dramatic as possible please please wait to lift your hands up for as long as humanly possible and then do it very very slowly so we could all react in real time and the, the two referees legitimately took so long to put up the good signal i didn't trust the net like i didn't even see the net ripple so when they finally did all hell broke loose my sister's glasses got stomped immediately just out of pure celebration. <laughs> like, accidentally, not intentionally. They fell on the ground. They were trampled by, I think, my, my buddy's Mastiff or me or who knows. Probably me. I mean, who are we kidding here? It was, it was pure elation. And we say, it, we say it over and over and over again with the Baltimore Ravens. Watching NFL kickers play. A big weekend for kickers, by the way. But watching NFL kickers usually play. We are blessed to have Justin Tucker on this football team and just never forget it. I think you nailed it. I think it's a testament to Tucker that we kind of danced over the fact that he broke an NFL record with a 66-yard field goal to win a game. And it like it's not even like that shocking. <laughs> like I was definitely surprised. I was like, no way. 66 yards, that's crazy. But like as Tim said, he's as clutch as they come. He's now 16 for 16 on field goals in the final minute of regulation in his career. Uh, as Tim mentioned, he's the most accurate kicker in NFL history currently. Uh, and he has the longest field goal there. He, he checks all the boxes, right? You know, power, uh, accuracy. Uh, t- Tim said it. He's the greatest kicker of all time. And he's, we're lucky. Uh, he's here, you know, Matt Stover was here a long time. Tucker's way better, which is crazy to think about. But uh yeah, he's he's simply the best, and they wouldn't have obviously won this game if he wasn't clutch. He uh, he said he missed from sixty five uh, both ends pregame, 
Uh, I don't know if it was the adrenaline of trying to make it to win the game, but he said he got just enough uh, distance and... uh, yeah, they're they're two and one because they have the goat uh, at kicker, and it, it, it's pretty remarkable to to watch his. And to Tim's point, it's fun to follow his career because I, I I agree. I do think he's heading to the Hall of Fame um, just based on his trajectory. He's still only thirty one, which for a kicker, you know, you'd like to think he'll be in Baltimore close to ten more years at least. Um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. It was a, it, it, still even for him dumbfounding, but it, it's awesome. He has the record uh now um to kind of even just add another notch to his case for the the best of all time and uh yeah obviously they won the game so that was a double plus uh just to uh one you mentioned lions lions d'antonio uh this is now the second time in their history they've lost a game on a new nfl record field goal tom dempsey set the original uh, field goal record at 63 yards way back in 1970 and <laughs> to win the game on the last play. And now here we are, uh, 51 years later, the Lions uh, are losing another game on a new record long field goal. Just very Lions all the way around. You couldn't, right, he couldn't even just make it right. It had to be one that bounced <laughs> off the crossbar. They're just poor, boy, poor Detroit. Uh, I do agree with Tim. I, I do like Dan Campbell. They have a... They have something there, but they just have to figure out how to turn it into a 60-minute victory. John Harbaugh has been in a lot of games. Good, bad, weird, ugly. I have never seen him as incredulous at the end of a game as when they showed him running off the field in this one where he's he looks stupefied. The hat is off. Don't know where the hat is, if, if he was wearing one. The headset is off. He's looking around asking staff trainers if the game is over if they've won if the kick went in and that i think that defines what this raven season has been through three games the poor guy is probably getting gray hairs every week with with what this team is doing to him but a win is a win the nfl is hard and it's been seen by other good teams struggling through the first three weeks but the ravens are two and one they march on and with that we're going to turn to the rest of the NFL. Do a quick recap of the AFC North first. The Ravens rivals where some things happened this week. <laughs> Interesting. And the first game I want to talk about combines two of the Ravens rivals, and that's Steelers at home losing to the Bengals 24 to 10. Ben Roethlisberger, oh dear. He was supposedly hurt going into this one with some other mysterious injury that he always seems to have. Stick a fork in him, guys. I mean, one of his, I mean, just a bad performance from him through 60 minutes. And Cincinnati doing some nice things. I guess I'll ask Tim, are you uh, are you more impressed with Cincinnati based on where they've been the last few years? Or are you more noting sort of uh, the fall of the Roman Empire here with, uh, with Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh? Yeah, far be it for me to be the guy to put the final nail in the coffin, because as soon as you do that, that's when, you know, all of a sudden his arm will start working again. But, I mean, I I work with a Steelers fan. I've been listening to, you know, my Monday is now after doing my own radio show, just spending oodles and oodles of hours on NFL podcasts and NFL radio shows and things like that, because I, I can't get enough of this stuff. I'm addicted to it. And the consensus from analysts, fans, Pittsburgh people alike is that Big Ben is dead. It's it's over. This is it. You're not going to put Dewey Haskins in there right now, but 
it was shockingly bad how bad he was. Najee Harris, you know, we criticized the pick when it happened. Looked like that turned out pretty well. Uh, looks like he's going to be a good player for them, but he's going to have to be because it's just going to be swing passes to Najee Harris over and over and over again. Um, yeah, Roethlisberger looks... Yeah. You know, this is a Ravens podcast. It would be fun to just sit here and dump on the Steelers the entire time. And and trust me, we can. And Jace, you have the floor to do so if you would like. <laughs> but I almost worry that Roethlisberger is going to try and keep fighting and even maybe try and come back like next year. And if you're Pittsburgh, what do you do? Like, yeah, Antonio is fist pumping because I'm I'm all in. The guy stinks. He can't play anymore. I just hope they don't get to a situation. Well, maybe I do sadistically, but maybe I'm just trying to play the nice guy here because I do kind of hope that they all just turn on him completely and forget that how good he was <laughs> over the years because it would be hilarious, frankly. But I think we're a lot we are a lot closer to that reality than some people think. I think these Pittsburgh they're, they're fiercely loyal. The whole you know three coaches and over how many years thing, whatever. They're not going to dump Ben Roethlisberger, who is arguably, maybe not arguably, the greatest quarterback in their history. Terry Bradshaw, him, you know, one, two, probably, in some order. But it, it, this looks bleak. I mean, they, they they look bad. The defense is bad. I know T.J. Watt wasn't there. But for me, the storyline here, and yeah, I do skew negative a lot. And then, yeah, let's let's, you know, take the piss out of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's always fun. They, they would do the same thing if this was pod like a Steeler. For me, I am way more concerned as a neutral about Pittsburgh than I'm impressed with Cincinnati because I still just, it's just fine. I use a Roman Empire line for Pittsburgh. I, Tim, you said Big Ben. I should have done the, because the clock struck midnight uh, for Big Ben here. And that, boy, I, that's on me. That's on me. We'll be sharper next week. Uh, Jace, thoughts on, on Cincinnati, Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think Tim nailed it with the caveat that I'm still fully expecting the Ravens to lose in Pittsburgh this season. Uh, oh, 100%. 1,000%. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Roethlisberger, like, looks cooked. Like, he was bad, and they still cannot run the ball at all. I think Najee Harris is a good player, and I'm glad Tim brought him up because I think that was the biggest indictment on where Roethlisberger is as a player right now. Najee Harris was the Steelers' leading receiver with 14 receptions for 102 yards. Great for him. He's also a running back, and they have several very good receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, um, all behind Najee Harris. Uh, Harris, 14 receptions, and he was targeted 19 times. Roethlisberger threw 19 of his 58 passes in Najee Harris's direction. That speaks to me of a guy who just has no faith in either his ability. You know, you mentioned Antonio. He had, I believe it was a pectoral injury, which is concerning for a guy who has had you know elbow injuries recently so you know if your entire upper body is starting to fail you as a guy who throws the ball not ideal um but it seems like a guy that just doesn't trust what he used to be and i I agree it's very strange to see a guy i respect ben roethlisberger's game a lot because he's tortured the ravens over the years i think in some ways he's almost an underrated quarterback but he he's he's not the he's not the same he's not the same guy we saw uh pre- uh, that that elbow injury pre twenty eighteen. Um, I think that guy's gone, and I think if the Steelers want to win big, this should be his last season in Pittsburgh. Because uh, I think they still have some nice pieces there, but they they need to figure out a long term QB solution. Because clearly Roethlisberger, I think, is done. And to Tim's point on the defense too, does they actually um, 
the very maligned Bengals line did not let Burrow uh, get sacked or I believe even hit in this game. Uh, he didn't have to drop back much. Um, I wasn't super impressed with the Bengals outside of them keeping Burrow upright. The Steelers, actually, their NFL record for consecutive games with a sack came to an end yesterday. Um, so that was notable. Uh, it was over, I believe, it was 75 games, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, and so, yeah, without TJ Watt, that's a problem for them. And, uh, yeah, the Bengals, I wasn't super impressed with either way. I think all we talked about him i believe last week antonio jamar chase is good which is annoying because all the all the offseason uh preseason talk about how i can't catch the ball well he had two great touchdown catches in this game so that that's going to be a problem for the ravens going forward but uh yeah uh roethlisberger's the story for the steelers until they figure out what's a future QB thing. I don't think they can really be taken seriously as a real contender. And I was going to say, how could you let a game get away from you where your over the hill injured quarterback is throwing 58 times? And then I looked at their rushing numbers and Harris had 14 carries. One of them went for 20 yards. That was his long. And then he had another 13 carries that went for another 20 yards. Their running game is a disaster and their quarterback can't throw you know, more than 15 yards downfield. They have big problems, and I cannot wait for the Ravens to split against them in the regular season. <laughs> Elsewhere, the Browns, boy, took care of business, I guess, at home against a bad Bears team with Justin Fields making his debut. The, I mean, we can say, you know, not a lot has to be said here for the Browns, but their D is legitimate. Yeah, I mean, the defense is great. The Bears are terrible. Matt Nagy is a terrible football coach. They're running the Andy Dalton offense for Justin Fields when your offensive line is bad, your quarterback is mobile, and you're going up against Miles Garrett. But sure, let's have him just stand in the pocket and not do any sort of creative run plays, rollouts, anything for him. Fine. Maybe I just don't want to give the Browns credit, which would you know kind of be on brand for me. But I thought it was abysmal from the Chicago Bears. But yeah, I mean, Cleveland's a good team. I think... I think yeah. I think that's who you have to get past in the AFC North, which is, it pains me to say, but I think they are clearly the tough test. I think the Ravens can still handle them. I think the Ravens always play them well. I think, well, most of the time, I think that is the test. And those games, which is annoyingly come, what, twice in three weeks because the NFL hates the Baltimore Ravens. But that's a conversation for a bit down the road. Um, I would be remiss to not mention that Justin Tucker's field goal uh, was longer than the total amount of passing yards that Justin Fields had cumulatively because for some reason sacks go against your passing number. I don't agree with that, but it's just what it is. So I'm sure you've heard the stat already. If you're on Twitter, you've you've seen the memes. Justin Fields threw for a total of one yard because he threw for 68 yards, got sacked nine times for 67 yards, and obviously Justin Tucker hit it from 66, that beautiful bastard. So for me... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to see. I, th- like you said, Antonio, we know the defense is good, and that kind of proved it again. It was a take-care-of-a-bad-team game, and they did that, which, you know, more than the Ravens did, I guess. Must so be nice. Good for them. Right. <laughs> well, th- that was the one thing I thought of, too. I was like, well, credit to them. They took care of business. I, 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 was, I thought this game was just more about what the Bears weren't doing, which, as Tim mentioned, was any any kind of creative plays for you know justin fields goes six for 20 and they just teed off on him which as as tim said credit to the browns but i thought the bears just had a horrible game plan and the browns have a solid defensive front as he said nine sacks 
uh, Miles Garrett, who's very good, had four and a half of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I was just, I, I wasn't, I thought the Browns' offense was pretty bad most of this game, honestly. But uh, the Bears have a good defense, I suppose. But yeah, the Bears were just doing nothing on offense, and that kind of just the Browns just needed to not turn the ball over, and they were going to win this one. So I don't think there's too much more to say about it, honestly. <laughs> Elsewhere in the NFL, the Chiefs after not losing a September game for, I don't know, 50 years. They're now 1-2, and two, following at home to the Los Angeles Chargers in a game where the Chiefs out-gained the Chargers and also out-turnovered them with four turnovers in this game. Elsewhere, the Rams beat the Bucks in the uh, Antonio and Tim gambling bowl that uh, I, t- I tip my cap to you, sir. I thought the Bucks. Looked good, but the Rams just looked better, basically. I, I have a strong suspicion that we are going to see these two teams playing in an NFC Championship game. It was an awesome game for three quarters. A uh, few mistakes by the Bucks and the Rams make you pay offensively, my goodness. Uh, Green Bay, maybe uh, I'll let Jace take this one. This is a gambling win for him. He finally maybe won on a, on a Green Bay pick, stealing one. Uh, in San Francisco, where it's sort of a similar situation to the Ravens game with the Lions just leaving a little bit of time on the clock. San Francisco scored a touchdown, granted, but, Jace, they left your guy too much time. They left Aaron Rodgers too much time. Uh, how can you not be romantic about football, Antonio? Uh, <laughs> I, that this was a, a thrilling ending. Uh, I thought the first half of that game stunk, frankly. It was a lot of just nothing going on. Packers were kind of just in front. But the end of this game turned bonkers in a hurry. Uh, uh, old friend, old, old, probably once in future random Raven. I don't know if we've used him yet. But Kyle's uh, huge check scores. And yeah, they just similar in many ways to the Lions, but even more confusing. It's like, hey, cover Devontae Adams. <laughs> if you're San Francisco, like, uh, he got the ball two catches. They conveniently go down the field, and Mason Crosby hits uh, a long field goal to win, but not not quite, uh, you know, Justin Tucker distance. But, yeah, um, I think that's a big one for the Packers. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm not going to – I'm going to – I'd be lying if I said I wasn't very excited watching it. I love Aaron Rodgers. I think it's known. They may have yelled some Aaron Rodgers uh, exclamation points just out loud to my two buddies I was watching this game with. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's still here, I think. I think as we move a little more forward, I think the first game was a bit of an aberration all directions between the Saints and the Packers. But, uh, yeah, it was a very exciting game, and... Uh, I think the Packers are clearly going to win that division. So I I think I agree with you, Antonio. Uh, It's going to be, those are the, I think the three teams to beat the NFC, but I think the Packers are still a clear tier below the the Rams and the Bucks even. Um, But I think those are all three going to win their division. And that's going to be the three teams. One of those three teams will come out of the NFC. I'd be stunned if they didn't. Anything else that y'all saw from the NFL this weekend that you, uh, they want to bring up here? Yeah, you kind of mentioned a couple of these. Um, I do want to talk about the Broncos, but we're clearly going to do that in the preview section, so we'll save all that for just a bit uh, just a bit later in the show here. Um, on the Bucks rams the reason I love the Rams so much in this game, Antonio, was I think the Rams win this game in September, the Bucks win it in January. I just think this was a Super Bowl level. I mean, you saw Sean McVay, who was trying to show that he still had a good 40 time at, at the end of the half when he's, like, sprinting in, <laughs> celebrating. They clearly just really, really, really wanted this game. And good for them. I mean, they're a good football team. I think they're going to be there 
I think there is going to be a January version of this. I just don't think Tom Brady loses that twice. Um, and my God, New England, you are in for a rude awakening when he comes home on Sunday Night Football and breaks the NFL all-time yards record and just eviscerates them for, I don't know, count them, touchdowns, five, six, seven, however many you want. I think that's going to be an embarrassment because uh, the Patriots stink. The Saints can't figure them out. Don't know, don't know <laughs> what the hell their deal is, but the Saints go into Foxborough and obliterate them. Jameis Winston with... Just Jameis is being Jameis, baby, and I love it. There was a play where he was like getting sacked, and he kind of just like loops the ball around. He's dead. I could not, I could not believe he threw that tip. That was like the most like oh my god to me reaction of the entire day. I remember I was watching it on Red Zone as it was happening, and I had the same thought of like oh no, he's throwing this. And, you, and then the replay, you see that Marquez Callaway, excuse me, Marquez Callaway, fell down, then gets up, and Jameis goes screw it, he's up now. Launch it, baby. And he tosses it up, and Callaway makes a great play, kind of mosses the defender and grabs it. Um, all those videos you see of Jameis doing crazy workout techniques, uh, you know why he does them now, because it looks the exact same just with football players instead of whatever he uses in these drills that go viral. Um, and then, you know, just quickly, there, there's some other stuff to talk about, but quickly for me, I think the other big thing um, is Justin Herbert's really, really good like MVP level good in the next coming years, in my opinion. Um, you know, I'm not saying anything revolutionary, but the Chargers, man, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything to panic about with the Chiefs. Everybody's like, oh, the Chiefs are at the bottom of the division. Who would have seen that coming? The Chiefs will be fine. They will figure it out. They'll be okay. But the Chargers, on their day, man, if if they're not doing Chargers stuff or it doesn't come down to a kicker. You know, I think the Chargers. Are, obviously, that's two big ifs here with the with the Las Vegas or Los Angeles Chargers, whatever the San Diego Chargers. We're just going to call them on this podcast. <laughs> I think they can. I think they can compete with anybody. Um, and it, it was very impressive. And Justin Herbert's awesome. Like he is just awesome to watch. He's awesome to watch in a different Lamar way for me, where he is very stereotypical, big, strong quarterback, and he just throws ropes. And launches the football. And for me, there's something... I wouldn't call it nostalgic because I'm a Ravens fan. But, you know, I, there's something awesome about watching a quarterback with just a, uh, a weapon attached to his right shoulder just launching the ball all over the place. Even his delivery looks like he's it's getting cool. more torque looks cool. than other quarterbacks. Yeah, it is crazy. We play them. Uh, we play them later this season, which I had originally penciled as a, a nice... Ravens win because I just didn't trust the Chargers to win NFL games basically but they certainly look scarier after three games than than I thought they would all right it is time now for the random Raven Tim is up and then we are going to preview Ravens at Broncos Tim who do you have for us on the random Raven so I have a random Raven here from um, a friend of mine from high school and listener to pod like a Raven who got my DMs and said I don't think you guys have done this guy. If you have apologies, but you should. And I went, Andrew Ironman, shout out to him. Yeah, Hall, class of 2010. I went, one, my Mondays are incredibly busy. Two, I can't think of anybody. And three, this is a great suggestion. So I am definitely going to use this. So here it is. Um, I did write the clues, but the suggestion comes from Andrew. So thanks to him. I hope he's doing well. All right, clue number one. This is another Ravens player to come out of the prestigious University of Miami, the U. He was drafted in the second round in 2006. 
I will say I probably made these clues too easy. I, I, I don't doubt that you guys are going to get this guy. I will, I'll preface it with that, too. Clue number two. This player played for four different teams across 11 seasons, but Baltimore was the only AFC team he played with. He spent most of his career in the NFC North. Yeah, see, I think Jace already has it. I had too many clues here. Too many clues. I'm, I'm being too specific. Clue number three. This three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, and member of the NFL 2000s and 2010 All-Decade teams did not even last a full season with the Ravens, but he featured pretty significantly. I love that clue. Clue number four. This player wore Marlon Brown's number, former random Raven, when he was in Baltimore. And clue number five, and here's, here's the giveaway if you don't have it yet. He is the only player in NFL history to return the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl back for a touchdown. Jace looks like he has it. Antonio, I yep. think, oh, has no. it. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, that's correct. So I thought of, for some reason, and I don't think I'm giving anything away here, but when you said all the accolades and that he only he like was it didn't last a full season with the Ravens. That is correct. For some reason I put that at the beginning of his career and therein lies the original yes. confusion. But yeah, oh boy, what a what a pick. This is a random Raven. Uh, I, I most... swore I swore he would have been taken already and then I looked it up and I said, "Nope, he wasn't. I'm definitely using that." Oh, that's a shame. Uh, all right. Uh, let's now turn to Ravens at Broncos mile high we've been there before guys we've done some good things at mile high before like the mile high miracle very different team very different situation the Broncos currently three and oh their opponents the New York Jets the New York Giants the Jacksonville Jaguars are oh and nine we have very little to make of this 3-0 3-0 and Broncos team, besides the fact that they're able to beat the worst, the possibly the three worst teams in the NFL to date. It's in Denver. The Broncos are favored, which I did not expect. Uh, we love that as, as gamblers of, and fans of the Baltimore Ravens. Broncos, one and a half point favorites. Let's start first with when the Ravens have the ball. Is this... Time for Lamar to the continuation of air it out, find your weapons down the field, or is it back to the run game, ground and pound, five yards of carry, and we end this game with two hundred plus rushing yards? Yeah, I I don't know if they'll get to two hundred, but I think they have to get back to the ground more. I think the Broncos are very competent, very good against the pass. I mean, they're very good at all defense. As you mentioned, it is hard to gauge a little bit because they've been playing some atrocious teams, but the Broncos are currently third against the pass in the NFL in yards per game and second against the run. So they do everything pretty well, uh, the Broncos. But as you said, they've been playing bad teams and they've had the lead almost exclusively in all these games, or at least for long stretches. So, you know, I, I, I lead lean more towards the run game and i think the one thing we didn't see a ton of against uh the lions is lamar designed runs we saw a lot more runs for him against the chiefs i think he has to have the ball a lot more in this game i i think 
you know, Denver's got a good defense, and I and it just seemed to be missing from the game plan against the Lions. I don't know if they just didn't think they need Lamar to run as much, but I think it's clear this season with the line where it is, with the running back room where it is, like for the Ravens to really rush for high totals, like Lamar has to be real involved. Like he has to be doing, like he has to be their hundred yard rusher. I don't think they're gonna get one uh, from anyone of those backs. Um, maybe I'm surprised, but. So I'd, I'd love to see the ball just in Lamar's hands more on the ground. Um, obviously, you still need to pass, but Patrick Sertan, their first-round pick, looks legit uh, at corner. Um, Von Miller already has four sacks this season. He's back uh, and a menace. Um, so, yeah, I, I, for me, I think they have to lean on the ground a, a, a more this week and just get it going somehow more because I, I don't think you want to just be dropping back and passing – Certainly against the Broncos team, you don't want their fans to the incomplete on third down and stuff every single incompletion. Like, uh, get rid of all that. Just keep it on the ground. Keep it simple. And uh, yeah, uh, try try to try to I guess shorten the game and just sort of make their defense be on the field a lot. Um, and yeah, I don't because you, you just don't want them to put pin their in, ears back and get Von Miller going against you know Patrick McCarry. No, thank you. Um, so yeah. Run game for me. Yeah, I mean, here's the problem. That all sounds great in principle, but Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive minds in the National Football League. And um, the Ravens' run game just got shut out by the Lions. And these are the Broncos. And their their defense is significantly better with significantly more stars and, um, and a better home atmosphere, frankly, and a, and a team that's going to be chomping at the bit to impress the fans at mile high. Um, so... I want to agree with Jace. I think that is clearly the strategy. I think the Ravens, if they can, always, if, if the Ravens can run the ball effectively, they're going to run the ball effectively, and most of the time they're going to win the football game. I think Lamar's going to have to do some of this in the air, and that scares me um, because you know Von Miller on Patrick Bakari is horrifying, and I didn't even think about that <laughs> until uh, Jace said it. And then your guys got to beat the likes of Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons in the backfield as well. I mean, I, I've. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I love the Broncos this year. I think the Broncos are an incredibly talented team. I think they're a potential playoff team. I think, yeah, but they've beaten, you know, the muck of the National Football League, arguably the three worst teams in the league. But you got to beat who's in front of you, and they have. And, and you know, I, I believe in the Broncos. And it, just in terms of the offense, mainly I believe in them because of the defense. So for the Ravens' offense – I think it's going to be a struggle to run the ball. I think they're going to have to stick with it maybe a little more than they did against Detroit where they just said, screw it, we're just trying to air it out because we don't think they're that good uh, defending the pass, which they weren't really. Um, but Lamar's going to have to make some plays in the air for the Ravens to win this game, and I, and I think he does. But it's going to be significantly tougher than what they just faced against uh, Detroit. Well, and just what we talked about with the Lions, just – Finishing drives, third down conversions, right? Like, points are going to be at a premium. So if you get in the vicinity of the red zone against this Broncos team, you got to finish. you got to try to get touchdowns. Um, I think that's so important. Like we saw against the Lions, they had 100 more yards against the Lions, but finished with seven fewer first downs because they went one for 10 on third down. Like, you can't you can't go one for 10 against the Broncos or you're in for a long day. It's going to be... It's going to be a tough afternoon if you're one for 10 against the Broncos. So that number needs to improve. Uh, you need you need some more sustained drives. You need to, to finish drives. You need to convert your third downs. Uh, and, you know, that includes making the third downs manageable. That's always important. But, uh, yeah, the, the third downs, that was one thing I was thinking, too. Like, finishing drives and just... You, 
it can't be one for ten. You gotta you gotta get closer to at least sniff fifty percent in this game. As the most banged up team in the NFL, uh, it is nice to see another team that you have to play also dealing with some injuries, which is something I want to bring up here. Denver, a lot of guys are either already out for this game or banged up, and we have you know we'll yet to see what happens. Obviously, Bradley Chubb, he's already on IR. Uh, a couple of other linebackers, uh, Josie Jewell is out. Ron, uh, cornerback Ronald Darby will be out. Offensively, both of their guards are questionable, left and right guard. Jerry Judy is on IR. KJ Hamler uh, was revealed somewhat recently as we record. Um, he's been placed on, I think, a temporary IR, but he'll be out for this game as well. A lot of guys hurt for Denver, and a couple of weapons now with Judy and Hamler officially out for this game. When the Broncos have the ball, guys, and the Ravens have to play defense and have to arm tackle and just keep the ball in front of them kind of thing, who do you think has the advantage here with the Ravens' defense versus Teddy Bridgewater and the Denver Broncos' offense? Well, yeah, so KJ Hamler, I actually saw it as I have a Monday Night Countdown on here as we record, and he has a torn ACL, so he's, he's out. He's out for the year, um, which is sad. I mean, Hamler and Judy are fantastic weapons, but then, okay, they still have Noah Fant. They still have Cortland Sutton. They still have Tim Patrick. This team is loaded with weapons, and they still have three viable, and I could be missing somebody, but three viable, incredibly viable pass-catching options. So for me... Look, the running backs for them don't scare me too much. I think Javante Williams did okay against the Jets, the rookie out of North Carolina. Melvin Gordon is fine at this point in his career. I think the Ravens should be able to stop the run uh, pretty effectively. But if they can't get off the field, I mean, Jace talked about it. I worry, uh, you're talking about the offensive side of the ball, being able to stay on the field, convert those third downs. I worry about it on this side of the football with guys like Fant, with Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, who are, you know, big guys. You know, Judy and Hamler were kind of your speed guys, your deep threats. Um, Sutton and Patrick are more of your big-bodied receivers. So let's just hope they don't bully the Ravens' corners. I think Marlon takes out one of them. It's what he does best. Can Anthony Everett and, you know, can Anthony Everett handle whoever wide receiver number two is? Can Patrick Queen and Chuck Clark and, you know, some combination of that defend Noah Fant? The aerial attack is where this game is going to be won and lost on that side of the football for me. I don't disagree with that, Tim. But I will say, like, despite all their weapons, like, the Broncos have not been a high-scoring team this season. Uh, You know, they haven't cleared 30 points yet. Um, They haven't (laughs) – they don't really push the ball down the field. They're, They're 14th in yards per game right now. They're not the most dynamic offense. And part of that's kind of probably by design. You know, you pick Teddy Bridgewater to be your starting QB over a guy like Drew Locke who has a cannon but is often, you know, making mistakes. The thing with Bridgewater is he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So I agree with you. If they're able to bottle up them, I'm not like – like I – I, I don't really believe in I like Teddy Bridgewater, but I don't think he's like at this stage of his career coming back from that horrible knee injury. Like is Teddy Bridgewater going to single-handedly beat you? No, I do not think so. Um, so if they're able to to keep a handle at all on some of those weapons, I, I, I actually like the Ravens chances, but as you said, and we've talked about, um, they didn't go so hot against the lions who have significantly worse weapons than all the guys Tim mentioned. Um, so that's obviously a concern, but um, 
I do I do like the idea of kind of maybe the Broncos being a little overrated because of the teams they've played. And it, like you look at those totals like and you're not putting 30 points on what really might be the dregs of the league if you're a really good team. That's that's probably not the best look. Counterpoint, the Ravens just scored 19 points against an 0 and 3 Detroit Lions team, but uh yeah, I I I I um I'm not I guess as worried about the Broncos offense just based on what they've done this season, which is kind of just more or less man the boat while their defense takes care of things. Yeah, I'm I'm comparing weapons here. Obviously, Denver's receiving core is stronger than Detroit's, but the Ravens basically shut out the Detroit's receiving core. I mentioned earlier in this episode, the first half of that game from the Lions was to the wide receivers. Then the second half of that game was going to their weapons, which is DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, and that's where they had a little bit of success uh, with a few broken tackles. But overall, I think you could sort of compare the, the offenses, at least when you match up you know, playmakers on both sides of the ball at this point with the injuries that Denver has. I just don't think Teddy Bridgewater, Jace, as you mentioned, I don't think he's going to steamroll the Ravens' defense. I don't see him throwing for 350 yards in any game, much less a game against a competent team. I have very little faith in what they've done so far. Sure, they took care of the games that they had to on their schedule. They're a 3-0 team. But I have no idea if they can beat a mediocre team, much less a good team, which I think these Ravens are. Jace, you have a couple of updates Ravens-wise in terms of injuries. Some some more bodies, maybe, or no? It would, it would be nice to have a couple of these guys on the field for this game. It would be nice. I don't imagine they'll ramp them up so much, but John Harbaugh did say today uh, ahead of uh, during like his press availability that uh, Miles Boykin and more importantly, I think uh, Rashad Bateman are returning to practice uh, this week. So I, I think the hope would be I'd be stunned if we see either of them, but I think you hope maybe a Monday you have an extra day against the Colts on the uh, in the next game. Maybe we see at least. A little appearance of a Rashad Bateman, um, maybe a Miles Boykin. I know I don't mean to be mean, but Miles Boykin's return doesn't really do much for me, uh, one way or the other. I think we're excited to see the debut of Bateman and what he can bring to this offense. I, we certainly were intrigued by some of his his preseason catches and the on the on the the Ravens, you know, carefully cultivated social media feeds they put out. But uh, um, yeah, so that's that's the big update. I would be stunned if they played in this game, but. Um, yeah, going forward, it's they should at least have more receiving options, which is, you know, never a bad thing. It is nice to also not hear Rashad Bateman has suffered a setback in his return from injury, and he'll be out another six to eight weeks. For the, I, I knock on wood after saying that, but for now, it's nice that he's sort of on schedule with his return to the Ravens. All right, guys, I don't have much more to say in terms of this preview. going to turn to the gambling section where uh, I'll admit I struggled last week, 1-3 uh, with the Ravens. Oh, boy, not covering. We had them at 9. The injuries lowered the line to about 7.5. The def- not injuries, sorry. The, the COVID defensive Ravens who didn't play lowered that line to 7.5. But we still do not cover that in a game where the Ravens should have had 31 points in the first half. So I'm now 3-8 and eight on the <laughs> season, but we're rectifying it. And I have three picks. I like all three of them. I, I'm, I await a 3-0 and week uh, and come back strong next week. I have the Ravens at plus 1.5. I just 
Football is the game of QBs. I like Lamar Jackson more than Teddy Bridgewater, and I think that makes the difference in this game. I don't know what we have in Denver based on who they've beaten, which are JV NFL teams. So I'm taking the Ravens. I'm thrilled to be getting points in this game. Ravens plus one and a half. I'm taking Tampa Bay minus six and a half. They go to New England. We all know what that means. It's the featured game. Tom Brady back at Gillette. He's going to get all the ovations. He's going to smile and wink. And then he's going to beat the Patriots by 28 points. I, I don't think this game ends up being close. I think Mac Jones struggles, as he did last week, and the Buccaneers win this comfortably. And then I have a tease. I haven't teased the last few weeks, uh, and it's time to bring those back. So I am teasing six points for the following three teams. Kansas City down to minus half of a point at Philadelphia. They will not lose to the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm teasing that down to minus a half. Dallas, I'm teasing that to plus two, hosting the Carolina Panthers. Carolinas look good. Their defense is good. I don't think Sam Darnold is going to beat the Cowboys, basically. Uh, And then I'm double dipping. How could this possibly go wrong? Baltimore, again, I'm teasing them to plus seven and a half. This will probably be a close game. I do not see the Ravens losing by more than a touchdown. So that this tease is one of my, I don't want to say locks because that's not a nice thing to say, but this is one of my locks. This is a three-team <laughs> tease lock. Kansas City, Dallas, Baltimore, that's plus money. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's bet 100 and win 160 kind of thing. So lock of the week, uh, and those are my three picks for this week. Uh, all right, I'll go next. I only gave two official picks here. I did. I kind of was like, here's some other ones that I kind of like. And I should have just said I loved them all because I did pretty well for myself. Uh, lost Baltimore, won Miami plus four. Even though they lost that game, I just knew that game was going to be close. I actually thought they were going to win. I also liked Tennessee minus five and a half, won that. Liked Atlanta plus three, won that. Uh, Dallas minus four, obviously, as we record, that game is happening right now, so we don't really know quite yet. I did lose Seattle minus a point and a half, and then, as we mentioned earlier in the program, won the Rams pick them. Um, the Rams is another this week. I wouldn't say official pick, but I do kind of like Rams minus six at home to Arizona. One, they're home. Two, they're just way better than Arizona. Like, the Cardinals are not that good of a football team. They're just somehow managing these games, and... Kyler Murray's electric, but the six points scares me coming off the emotional win, but um, I figured might want to take a look at that one. Uh, on the Ravens, I'm with you. This is going to be a close game. It's going to be very tight. I don't think the Ravens are going to have an easy game this year. Um, e- either, you know, they're either going to get blown out, they're either or lose in heartbreaking fashion or win in exhilarating fashion right at the end. So I'll take the points and the Baltimore Ravens because it's a Baltimore Ravens podcast. Ravens plus one and a half. I talked about the Chargers already. I think the Chargers are legit good. I think Vegas is fake. Uh, so give me the L.A. Chargers at home, minus three and a half, even though it will obviously be a pretty Ra- Raiders-heavy crowd because the Chargers don't have any fans. I think they're three and a half points better than them, and I think that this is finally the game where the Raiders come crashing back down to earth a little bit, and Justin Herbert just puts on a show while Derek Carr just continues to be Derek Carr. And then my other pick here... I can't quit the Miami Dolphins. I don't know why. Give me Miami. (laughs) They helped me last week, even though they lost. Give me Miami minus two away to Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a train wreck of a a team right now. They are 
legitimately one of the worst teams in the National Football League, which is wild to think about, but um, given the talent that we thought they had. But for, for right now, man, they are struggling. So I think Miami is good enough to beat them you know, and with the minus two. So Miami is my final pick there. Yeah, I uh, Antonio, I loved uh, that that uh, the Bucks minus six and a half at the Patriots. I think they are going to hammer them. I agree with you. Brady's going to throw for like four hundred yards and five touchdowns. Um, but in terms of official picks, uh, I did take the Ravens plus the points. Um, pretty much on principle, just Ravens as an underdog. I will always uh, pretty much unless they're playing the Chiefs, kind of take them. I'm not going to be absolutely stunned if the Broncos win this game, um, but I feel like I know, certainly from being a Ravens fan, obviously, but I just feel like I know more about who the Ravens are this season than the Broncos, just based on their opponents they played. I think the Ravens are a good team that are prone to uh, close results, but I think they still can will probably win this game. Um, the other uh, line kind of caught my eye, and you uh, mentioned it in your tease, but just Chiefs minus six and a half at the Eagles, I think people are making, you know, Mahomes has been kind of uncharacteristically sloppy with the ball the last few weeks um, for him. But uh, I, I think I think they have a get-right game at the Eagles. Um, I don't think the Eagles are that good. Um, and they lost, you know, I believe it's Brandon Graham, right? It's out for the season, like one of their best defensive linemen. Um, so I, I, just, I just like the Chiefs in this spot. I think they'll take care of business and just kind of have a ho-hum. 20 point win uh and you know tyron matthew probably a few picks of jalen hurts um and then another one we mentioned uh <laughs> i'm taking the lions plus three against the chicago bears um i think i think they're due for a win they're not going oh and 17 under dan campbell and i think the bears are an abomination <laughs> of a franchise right now uh i just i have not been and i don't even really think it's his fault but justin fields does not look great um, I think Matt Nagy's a horrible coach, and I, I, as we said, I think the Lions, the Lions aren't good, but they play hard for Dan Campbell, and I think against, uh, as, you know, three-point underdogs against just another bad team, I think they can win that game, so I'm taking the Lions. I love it. I love it. All winners this weekend, and we'll recap it next week. All right, last thing to, uh, to bring up here is to answer this random raven, so Tim, can you please give us those clues one more time? I can here. And again, shout out to a friend of the program, Andrew Ironman, who gave me this suggestion. Clue number one. This is another Ravens player to come out of the prestigious University of Miami. He was drafted in the second round in 2006. Clue number two. This player played for four different teams across 11 seasons, but Baltimore was his only AFC team. He spent most of his career in the NFC North. Clue number three. This three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, and member of the NFL 2000s and 2010 All-Decade teams did not even last a full season with the Ravens, but he did feature pretty significantly. Clue number four, I'll just shorten it. He wore number 14. Clue number five, he is the only player to return the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl back for a touchdown in NFL history. Antonio, do you want to take the stab, or uh, do you want me to go? I do have a stab. I, I, if you're 100% confident, I'll go first, and then you can confirm uh, the name. I think he had a lot of Ravens fans behind him very quickly, and then also they also moved off of him very quickly. This is Devin Hester, who did all of his good work before he came to Baltimore. 
That's who I had too, and I couldn't even remember what season he he was on the Ravens. It's either like twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, I think. Maybe twenty sixteen. But yeah. Uh yeah, I had Devin Hester as well. You guys are correct. Devin Hester, it was twenty sixteen when he was on Twenty sixteen, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <'cause... laughs> Wait, he was a mid-season pickup? I forget. No, he they had him early in the season. He didn't finish the year with them. He ended up going to Seattle and actually played for them in the playoffs, <laughs> like returning kicks in the playoffs for them. I have memories but, of a Devin Hester fumble or muff on a punt or kick or something that may have uh, sped up his uh, departure from Baltimore. But that is a random raven, and that is a fantastic suggestion. Keep him coming, guys. I, to your point, too, I could have sworn we must have touched on him before, but that's incredible. That, yeah, that's an incredible, this is what we're looking for in random ravens. <laughs> what a name. And uh, we will be back next week to talk all about the ravens at Denver. The season goes on. We will try to stay alive, stay healthy, make, make sure, as I think it was Jace saying, you got to eat the Cheerios, make sure the heart is in good shape for uh, what is going to be a season of stressful Ravens games, but hopefully more good ones than bad ones. For Jace Evans and Tim Horson, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you, as always, for listening to us here at Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.